0: Welcome, friends, to A History of the King James Bible Podcast. To find more episodes and information, just go to our website, www.ahistoryofthekingjamesbiblepodcast.com. Now here is GK with the latest episode.
1: This is episode 14 of a History of the King James Bible podcast. A discussion about the Apocrypha with Dr. Mike Spaulding. In our next episode, we will be examining the translators of the Apocrypha as it was included in the early editions of the King James Version. Now the reason I'm devoting a complete episode to a discussion on the Apocrypha is to make it clear for those who may not know what it is and why it was included in the King James Version. We'll also discuss what James' opinion was of the Apocrypha, some of us are going to be surprised, I guess, and why it was later removed. Let's go now to my discussion with Dr. Mike Spaulding, and I'll come back and talk to you a little more after we're done. Well, he is a husband, he's a father, he holds down a full-time job, he is a pastor, he is the host of Soaring Eagle Radio, He holds a doctorate in theology, and he's our very own doctor of divinity. (laughs) I'd like to welcome my good friend to our very first interview on History of the King James Bible Podcast, Dr. Mike Spaulding. Welcome, Mike.
0: GK, you are a treasure to many and a special friend to me, and it's an honor for me to join you in this episode.
1: Well, thank you for taking the time, Um and uh, I'm really looking forward to having this discussion with you. Mike, we're going to discuss the, as you know, we're going to discuss the Apocrypha, because I have an upcoming episode in the series where I'm going to talk about the translators who translated that portion for the King James Version. Uh, they translated the Apocrypha, but I thought... You know, some people might have forgotten that the Apocrypha existed um, because it has long disappeared from a lot of Bibles, although I do believe it's coming back into vogue lately. But um, So I thought we might discuss the Apocrypha, and then people will know what I'm talking about when we when I do that episode um, about the specific translators who translated the Apocrypha of the King. But um, first thing to kick off with, Mike, is let's discuss what is this thing called the Apocrypha, what are we talking about? Yes, that's that's
0: a good lead-in question, uh, G.K. The Apocrypha, um, and for your language students out there, those that like to study this kind of stuff, uh, for the rest of it, this is just a throwaway, but it is a Greek neuter plural mm. of the singular
1: mm.
0: Apocryphon. And essentially what Apocrypha means is hidden books. So the Apocrypha uh, are Jewish books from that period of, uh, of Jewish history that are not preserved in the Tanakh or the Hebrew Bible. And that period of history I'm talking about is generally um, uh, bracketed by scholars to be uh, approximately the 13th century B.C. up to uh, about the 3rd century B.C. Now, your listeners will will uh, know, uh, no doubt, that the the Hebrew Bible, of Jesus's day had uh, twenty-four books, and uh, so when it was translated uh, into the Greek, which was uh, was called the Septuagint or the the seventy, and there's a, a bit of history there. I'm sure we'll uh, we'll touch on that as well. But when it was translated, the Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible, was translated into Greek, and, and that was done in Alexandria. There were additional. Books that were added to that, and that is what became known as the apocrypha. Um, now, some scholars believe that the uh, uh, the Jewish scholars who did the the translation work um, were too mysterious. These books were too profound, too uh, mysterious for ordinary readers, and so uh, they rejected those. Um, in in uh, in Palestine, but the Alexandrian Jews that did the translation, they included them. Several theories on that too, but we won't uh, get into that now. for For your listeners uh, uh, today, they're probably operating under the assumption that the uh, apocrypha uh, are fictitious; that they're not not real. You know, what's meant by that, however, it's, is is essentially this, uh, that the authority and the authorship of the books that comprise the Apocrypha uh, are not known. In other words, they're, they were written by people who weren't really the people that the book claims they were. So, uh, under, under a pseudonym, in other words. Of course, then that, that brings us into the whole uh, conversation of the... Uh, pseudepigrapha and I don't think we're going to cover that today in this uh, in this uh, conversation. So anyway, that's what the apocrypha is essentially, um, and there's much more to be said about it. And I don't know how much detail you want me to go into, GK. Um, I can name the books. Uh, we can talk about the differences between um, the Protestant. Uh, apocrypha and the roman catholic apocrypha because there is a difference
1: right okay yeah that's good that's good mike because i was going to say it's a group of roughly 15 books isn't it but it's not always 15 it depends whether you're looking at the protestant or catholic or even the orthodox is it the eastern orthodox version is that correct
0: that that's correct yes yes that is correct and, and let me just say this uh some of your readers may or listeners may have picked up on this Uh, statement that I made that the Jewish Bible, the Hebrew Bible of Jesus' day had 24 books. And they may say, now, wait a minute, our Old Testament, which was derived straight from the Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible, has 39 books. So what's up with that? How how can can that be? And uh, the simple explanation is that our Old Testament breaks out each of the minor prophets. It breaks out First uh, and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, books like that, that in the Hebrew Bible were all one. In other words, the Minor Prophets, the twelve, comprised one book in the Hebrew Bible. So when you start looking, when you start understanding it that way, then it's easy to get to thirty-nine from the twenty-four. But they're the same material.
1: I think it's again the Eastern Orthodox that regard some of these books as canonical, don't they?
0: Yes, they do. Um, and I can I can uh, list those for you. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the the Greek Orthodox Church, and and we're talking there about uh, and that includes the um, uh, the Russian Orthodox, the uh, uh, Armenian Orthodox, all of the Eastern Orthodox uh, churches um, that uh, and and if your uh, listeners have been following along with you in the history of the King James Bible, I know that you've talked about the split. East and the West, the Church, and how all that happened. So that's how the Orthodox churches uh, uh, rose up and separated from Rome or or the West. Um, but when you're talking about the Greek Orthodox canon, you're including books, and we're of course talking about the Old Testament here. You're, you're they're including books uh, such as First Esdras, which is uh, Esdras is um, Ezra, uh, Tobit, Judith. Uh, there were uh, additional materials added to um, Esther, and, uh, and there's an interesting reason the scholars think that uh, that someone wanted to add additional details to Esther, and I think it, um, if I recall correctly, GK, it uh, it picks up at uh, chapter 10, verse 24 or 5, where uh, canonical Esther leaves off, and then it goes for about six more chapters through chapter 16, and I I don't recall the exact verse. Um, but essentially, that added material to Esther was, uh, was to make up for the lack of the, the mention or, or the implication of God being at work in, in, uh, all of the details of, uh, of the Jews and Esther's time. Uh, so it, it's quite interesting. Um, wisdom of Solomon. Uh, Ecclesiasticus Baruch, who uh, many of your listeners will recall, was uh, Jeremiah's assistant. Uh, Epistles of Jeremiah, Song of the Three Children, Story of Susanna, Bell, and the Dragon, and those those last three that I mentioned there, uh, Song of the Three Children, that has to do with um, Shadrach, Meshach, and uh, Abednego. And so that was material that was added to canonical Daniel. The story of Susanna is another uh, a bit of um, uh, literary, um, I'll just call it uh, uh, fiction, that was added to Daniel, um, and and that was the story of Daniel saving a, a uh, an, an an innocent. Uh, maiden, who was about to be executed on the false testimony of a couple of Jewish uh, elders. Bell and the Dragon is another addition to Daniel. So those three were all added to Daniel. The Prayer of Manasseh, 1st uh, and 2nd Maccabees, 3rd and 4th Maccabees, and Psalm 151. So that's the Greek Orthodox canon that contains the Apocrypha. Now, for those uh, Protestant uh, churches that still keep the Apocrypha in their Bible. and, and there are a few of them. There're not many anymore. There are a few. And I, and I know you're going to touch on the, the, the fact and the history and some of the reasons why uh, it was added to the King James and then and then later removed. Um, uh, so the, the Protestant Apocrypha uh, it contains first and second Esdras to uh, first and second Ezra. and by the way, that is material that is predominantly uh, uh, contained with some with some additional material, of course. But that's uh, basically material that's contained in our uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, and uh, First and Second Chronicles, uh, Tobit, Judith, additions to Esther, Wisdom of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, Baruch, Epistle of Jeremiah, Song of the Three Children, Story of Susanna, Bell and the Dragon, Prayer of Manasseh, and First and Second Maccabees. So you can see that the Protestant apocrypha. Uh, adds 2nd Esdras, and it drops 3rd and 4th Maccabees and Psalm 151. Now, the Roman Catholic Apocrypha that they considered to be canon, they do not include 1st and 2nd Esdras. They realize that that material is already uh, uh, without the embellishments, uh, Ezra and Nehemiah. But they do include uh, Tobit, Judith, additions to Esther, Wisdom of Solomon, Ecclesiasticus, Baruch, Epistle of Jeremiah, Song of the Three Children, Story of Susanna, Bell and the Dragon. They do not consider prayer of Manasseh canonical, but they do include first and second Maccabees. So, those are the books of the Apocrypha that are contained in the Greek, Protestant, and Roman Catholic Bibles, and they're similar but not exactly the same. Now, I might also add um, that this creates, in, in my view, a lot of confusion, uh, because um, Protestants, uh, they refer to, to the whole work of the Apocrypha as simply that. It is the Apocrypha. It is not canonical. It is uh, not part of the inspired scriptures. Um, it's, there's certainly uh, nothing wrong with reading it uh, for enjoyment. Uh, some can even be re- read um, for research. Uh, First Maccabees, for example, most, most scholars that I've checked, as, as you know, GK, uh, I believe that First Maccabees is a, a very accurate representation of the historical record of, of the Jews at that time. Um Second Maccabees is okay, but not as astute, not as um, uh, correct and spot on as first Maccabees.
1: No, because they get in in second Maccabees, they get into some uh, more spiritual stuff that would go outside of the uh, accepted um, beliefs and actions of, say, you know, what well, what we believe and how how we believe we should act uh, as Christians. For example, Mike, in that one, um, in Second Maccabees, just for interest's sake, is they um, they talk about purgatory. You know what you know. The Catholic Church ended up calling purgatory. Um, yes. They have prayers for the dead and um, intercessory work of the saints who have gone to glory. Um, yes. So they talk about that. First Maccabees is great because it is history. Um, if you can get a hold of First Maccabees and read that alongside with Josephus, it's it's great for the history of that period. You can learn a lot from it, but. It's a shame that this other one's got the same name to it because I just can't I just can't <laughs> recommend Second Maccabees but I can First Maccabees and just for interest sake uh so people get an idea of um, what might be in one of these books I just thought I'd just throw this in there you mentioned that the three books that are related to Daniel sort of additions to the book of Daniel um the song of the three holy children is the story of um, it's, it was its intention is to be added after the uh, verse 23 of chapter 3. And it's yes. an idea of what um, the prayers and the hymns that uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego may might, might have offered up to God while they were in the furnace. So that's what that yes. one is about. And I'm not saying it's canonical. I'm just saying, you know, because if people haven't read the Apocrypha, or don't even know what we're talking about, that's the sort of thing that could be in there. There might be, look, this is what they you know from my angle this is what they may have prayed and this is what the hymns they may have sung Um, yes and i'm not sure if the writer's telling us that's exactly what happened but that's how i'm accepting it so yes yes Mm. yes that's right that's Mm. right Mm. so
0: so maybe a a good question then at this point um is where did the apocrypha come from and, and and what's 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 the history of it now, some have argued, and and, and let me say this, uh, G.K., um, because I didn't uh, when we began this conversation, and and it needs to be stated. I would encourage uh, all of your listeners to do some research uh, on the apocrypha. Uh, when when we first discussed doing this, and and then started uh, started our research, um, it was very very uh, interesting to me, very informative. Uh, the, the Apocrypha is not something that uh, in my course of, of ministry and study that I've spent uh, a lot of time on. Uh, and so I found this to be very, very refreshing, very rewarding. Um, and so I encourage your listeners um, to do that. There is there is a lot of, of history. It tells us the Apocrypha, the the writings uh, of these authors, whoever they may have been, tell us a lot about the the times that the Jews were living in, what the uh, social uh, atmosphere was like, what the religious atmosphere was like, uh, what the historical uh, atmosphere was like. So there is value in studying it, and I, I hope that your listeners won't just dismiss it out of hand because it's not... Uh, not canonical
1: no we'll get we're going to get into that a bit sort of to the back end you know we're going to discuss those sort of things mike but one thing to probably um, talk about at this point is it also highlights the shift in jewish thought to a more uh hellenistic uh worldview would you think that's did you discover that as well
0: Yes I did absolutely so, and that was um interestingly enough uh, for for Christians today mm. um, that they need to understand that the whole rise in uh, Phariseeism mm. uh, came about as a reaction to hellenism um, many of the many of the jews when when Alexander the Great swept through the Middle East and conquered. Uh, the lands and established uh, Greek thought, philosophy, culture, uh, actually founded the city of Alexandria yeah. in, in, in Egypt. It became the, uh, the premier learning center in the Middle East. And as uh, your listeners no doubt recall, Alexandria had the largest library, uh, bar none, in the Middle East. It was a great center of learning. And so uh, Hellenization, the, the influence of Greek thought and culture, bore down heavily uh, throughout the Middle East. And the reaction against that uh, by, by the Jews gave rise to rabbinical uh, Judaism. It gave rise to Phariseeism, which was um, uh, really just a call to be true to the Hebrew scriptures, the Hebrew manner of life. And so, yeah, that's a, that's a very good point um, um, Garth. So, but speaking of uh, Alexandria, when we're talking about the the uh, the history of the apocrypha, where did it come from? And I've already mentioned the the uh, Septuagint, and that was the the uh, translation of the uh, uh, Tanakh into the Hebrew Bible into Greek, and um, that happened at at Alexandria. Now some some people, some scholars suggest that the reason that these additional books were, were added is because the Jews who were residing in Alexandria that were involved in the, the translation uh, were of a more liberal mindset. And so they included those. Um, uh, I, I'm not sold on that idea. It's certainly possible but but against that is the fact that uh, that Philo, or some pronounce his name Philo, who was uh, an Alexandrian Jew of, of much respect, a scholar uh, in those days rejected the Apocrypha. So uh, I'm not sure that uh, liberalism, we can hang that. We can certainly hang a lot of things on liberalism today, but I don't think that's one of them uh, in relation to the Apocrypha. Now, there are other scholars, though, that... Uh, that believe that perhaps the uh, apocryphal books, they were stored together with um, canonical books. And so uh, as, as this transition occurred between um, book rolls or scrolls to uh, uh, copying and preserving in, in codex form, that those apocryphal books were accidentally copied. Now, that seems like a stretch to me, as well. I mean it, it is possible, I guess, but it seems highly improbable to me GK. But regardless of regardless of how the the uh, apocryphal books ended up in the Septuagint, their their presence in that translation allowed them to be included in what became known as the Latin Vulgate that uh, that Jerome translated and from my research GK and, and I wonder if you found the same thing. Jerome's initial translation Uh, what became known as the latin vulgate he did not include the uh, apocryphal writings he did not consider them to be uh, canonical but there seemed to be some pressure that was exerted on him uh, within the church within the Roman catholic church to include those writings in his translation did you find that as well
1: I actually, I didn't find that uh, specific point, Mike, but I did know that he advised that they weren't uh, uh, part of the canon. Um, he did say that. But it's funny you mentioned that because um, what I found was that one of the reasons the Apocrypha ended up in the King James Version is because the Latin Vulgate, which Jerome had translated, uh, which held sway in the Catholic Church for a thousand years or more, people assumed because the Apocrypha was a part of the Latin Vulgate for that length of time, that it was just a part of biblical canon, yes, and he had it interspersed. he didn't have it in a separate section, so okay, so this is part of the Bible now that that I can see happening,
0: yes, yes, and and that's a good point that you made there g k is that well, it's in the Bible it it has to be canonical, uh, otherwise it wouldn't be in there. It's like so there there is a a very real and dangerous reason why you must uh, safeguard what is considered to be canonical and what is not. Yeah.
1: And and as you know, Mike, the Protestant reformers, um, they drew a very broad distinction between the Old Testament and the Apocrypha, whereas uh, uh, that distinction was not so well defined by the Catholic Church. Um, Yes. You know, I looked into this a little bit, Mike, because I thought it was important. The Catholic Church at the Council of Trent, Actually, they part of their decree was, um, and I'm going to read this, The Holy Ecumenical and General Council of Trent, following the example of the Orthodox Fathers, receives and venerates all the books of the Old and New Testament, and also the traditions pertaining to faith and conduct, with an equal sense of devotion and reverence. If, however, anyone receive not as sacred and canonical, the said books and tie with all their parts, as they have by custom been read in the Catholic Church and as they are contained in the old Latin Vulgate and knowingly and deliberately rejects the aforesaid traditions, let him be accursed. Hmm. <laughs> That's a bit of a stunner, yeah, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yes it is, and of course I, I don't mean any I don't mean to offend any of your Roman Catholic
1: no, uh, no, no.
0: listeners by, by any means. No. Um, but the, the Roman Catholic Church of those days, they were quick to pronounce uh, anathema upon anyone who didn't agree with them. So
1: Yeah. yeah. You know, we could argue that the Catholic stance on the Apocrypha was in response to the Protestant um, take on the Bible and on the Apocrypha. And I'll, I'm going to highlight this by, as we go along here, I've read what the Catholic uh, thought of what was on the Apocrypha. Um, well, actually on their whole, old, old testament because it was just regarded as part of the old testament. But, yes. um, I'm going to take the time to read a couple of Protestant statements from the era as well and see what their take on the apocrypha, uh, was. Um, but the Catholic Church, they did respond to the Reformation in a number of ways and, um, they, they understood that, you know, the Protestants were starting to put together their own Bibles. Um, you know, we've got Luther's Bible and we've got the Bibles in English. And um, I'm sure that they wanted to keep the Latin Vulgate as the Bible for the Christian world, if I can put it that way. Therefore, in my opinion, they had a lot invested in the Apocrypha, in, in the defense of the Apocrypha, um, because it was such a large part of the Latin Vulgate, which was the official Bible of the church at this time. Now, Luther, in his version of the Bible, here's what he said, 1534, the title to his Apocrypha section reads thus, Apocrypha, that is, books which are not to be esteemed like the Holy Scriptures, and yet which are useful and good to read.
0: Perfect. Yeah. Yeah, That's that's a good way to put it.
1: And I think think that's, you know, as we go along, we'll talk about that a little bit more, but I, I think that's kind of a very good stance to take um and as i pointed out and you know no offense to our catholic audience but i think we have to acknowledge that you know at this point in time at the point of the Refor- reformation there was a struggle and it was a a push and pull between the catholic and the protestant um uh churches and um i was surprised to see that um the apocrypha not in a big way but it played its part. I am i don't want to make too much out of it, but it played its part. Like I say, I believe that they had a fair bit invested in their Latin Vulgate. The Apocrypha was part of it, so I'm saying that yes. they possibly would have defended But, you know, continuing to talk about reformers and such, the fact that the Apocrypha is found in the Septuagint, as you mentioned, with the other books of the same class. Okay, so we're trying to work out why did it end up in the King James Version anyway. So in the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament, let's just put it that way, um, the apocryphal books were spread out through it. So if there was a book or like of a historical nature, then the apocryphal book would be in that section. If it was religious or apocalyptic, Whatever portion that was in, then the apocryphal book would have been in that.
0: Yes, yes, that's a very good point, G.K.
1: Yes, yeah, so you would have been you would have been reading your you know Septuagint at the time, your Greek version, because um, when we go back to the early church, it was a Greek-speaking world, and uh, perhaps in amongst that were these apocryphal books because they're a- they're absolutely in the Vaticanus and the uh, Sinaiticus, which are third and fourth. Is it 4th and 5th century Bibles? So, you know, you would have been flipping through and these books would have been there, right? But it wasn't until Coverdale's uh, Bible in English in 1535 that the Apocrypha was placed at the end of the Old Testament. Now, any of the Bibles that I've personally owned myself, and I've got a couple that have the Apocrypha in them, um, you have the Old Testament, then you have a separate section for the Apocrypha, all the books are there, separated, and then you have the New Testament, Well, that didn't happen in in Bibles until 1535 with Coverdale's Bible. Now, his introduction to the Apocrypha. I'll read that for you. Uh, Coverdale's Bible, 1535. Apocrypha, the books and treatises which among the fathers of old are not reckoned to be of like authority with the other books of the Bible, neither are they found in the canon of the Hebrew, which is what I think you were talking about earlier when we first started, you pointed that that out, that they weren't, they're not uh, Hebrew canon. So this brings us to my next point, why it was still found in the King James Bible, how it found its way in there. I haven't read all of these, Mike, I'll, I'll confess, but the 39 articles of religion that were published in 1562 by the Anglican Church, it outline, outlined the Anglican Church's position on religion, right? Right. And it included the list of canonical books. And it said this of the Apocrypha, right? So this, this, these articles of religion were from the Elizabethan and Jacobean era. So it was the Anglican view on religion from Elizabeth up until James. This is what they had to say, okay? And they said, and the other books, as Jerome saith, so they know that, you know, Jerome, who... Um, translated the Vulgate, and the other books, as Jerome saith, the church doth read for example of life and instruction of manners, but yet doth it not apply them to establish any doctrine such are these following, and it lists the 15 books of the Apocrypha. So um, uh, they're saying that they're worthy for instruction in as far as your manners go or your example of life, but it's not to establish doctrine. And I think that that's also something we could also argue about the Apocrypha. Yes, you may learn some wisdom from it. You'll definitely learn some history from it, but you can't apply it. You can't expect it to be doctrine, and, and you cannot finish any sentence after reading that with thus saith the Lord, Mike. You know? Yes,
0: that's that's exactly right, GK. <laughs> Good. Yep, that's right.
1: All right. Now, another point to think about. OK, so why did they include it in the King James Version? Well, um, a part of the rules, and I talked about this in an earlier episode of the King James uh, a history of the King James Bible podcast. I talked about the rules that the translators were given. One of those rules was to examine all the previous uh, examples of the Bible, um, and including the Latin, mind you, and to use them as the groundwork for uh, for this new version. Okay, now part of that was now James wasn't a big fan of the Geneva. I've spoken about that several times in this series. But the Geneva did play a big part in the underpinnings of the King James Version, right? Now, the apocrypha was in the Geneva. So we shouldn't be surprised to find that the translators came along and went, okay, it's in the Geneva, it's in the Coverdale, it's in these other versions, then we're going to have it in ours, right? Yes, yes. And so that would be another reason. But I'm going to come up with what I think is the main reason it was in there. Bishop Richard Bancroft, who King James put in charge of the production of the Bible, right? Um, he had a lot more to do with it than most of us probably realize until you go into this and have a look at it. Uh, you know, we have the list of translators and, you know, we know uh, Lancelot Andrews was in there and um, got a lot of respect for the man. He was a fantastic scholar. But there was this guiding hand, if you like, in the background that I seem to he keeps. It keeps popping up, Mike, as I go further and further into this series, and that's Bishop Richard Bancroft. And I found that he influenced the king with regard to the inclusion of the Apocrypha in the King James Version. Now, this is def- despite the fact that James was not actually in favor of it. Um, one of the readings that you actually um help me with earlier in the series, Mike, I don't know if you remember, but you spoke about James's work, the Basilicon Doron. Do you happen to remember that? Yes, I do. Right. Well, within the Basilicon Doron, James wrote, uh, I'll read this for you. James wrote, As to the Apocrypha books, I omit them because I am no papist, and indeed some of them are as like the dietment of the Spirit of God as an egg is to an oyster. Right now, <laughs> yeah. I've got to be totally honest with him and say I'm not a hundred percent sure what he means. Right, but I think what <laughs> it means is that the apocrypha is, is not as good eating for us spiritually as is the Old yes. and New Testament. I think that's yes. what he's getting at. Yes. So yes. now Amen. James was against the apocrypha in in that sense, but Bancroft lent on him for the inclusion of it. Okay, so Bancroft is everywhere in the background to this King James Bible. And I'm not saying it's a bad translation. Don't don't think that. I'm just saying that he does loom large. And later on in my series, I'm going to talk a bit more about him. But I got a feeling that right at the end, good old Richard Bancroft had more uh, in the final outcome, in the final edit. I think he was there with his hands on it to make sure it was going how he thought it should. I agree with that, GK. Yeah. Um, now, so... Mike, one of the list of things that I included for us to discuss was um, was this point, you know, why was it included? And I hope it hasn't been too stilted, but the, this is my argument why I think it was included, that those things we've listed there. Okay, so just briefly, uh, okay, so they come to translating the Bible. Hey, it's been in the Latin Vulgate for a 1,000 years. I wouldn't be surprised why we translate it. It's been in the uh, earlier versions of the Bible. Let's translate it. Uh, Bancroft, Lenton James, let's have it in there. That's what I found out why it was in there. Now, later on, it's actually excluded. Like, most versions of your King James Version, now that you pick up, won't have it. I've got a number of King James Versions hovering around in my bookshelf, and um, some have it and some don't. Uh, and there are probably more reasons than these that I'm going to discuss why it was removed. Uh, at a later date but one of the reasons early, very very early on so after James we had I won't go into the history too much. we have um, the coming of the Commonwealth. okay so um, after Charles I, James's son Charles I was removed and uh, Oliver Cromwell uh, came to lead the Commonwealth you know as a leader but not as king, um, the Puritans held a lot of sway at that point in time. And um, that's when we have the time of the Westminster Confession um, of 1646, right? And we'll just focus on what it says about the Apocrypha. Uh, Chapter 1, Article 3, and you go onto the internet and find out about the uh, Westminster Confession. It's quite a good read. I did -hmm. did read more of it than this, but Chapter 1, Article 3. The books commonly called Apocrypha not being of divine inspiration are no part of the canon of the scripture and therefore are of no authority in the church of God, nor to be any otherwise approved or made use of than other human writings. And so during this period, the Puritans, you know, who James had struggled with um, during his reign uh, when he came to the throne in England, they agitated for the removal of of the Apocrypha uh, from the King James. But with the restoration of the monarchy after uh, the Commonwealth had been removed under Charles II, the Apocrypha's earlier position was restored. But what it did show us or showed the world at that time was that there was a market for Bibles without the Apocrypha among the Puritans, right? So it was the first time, let's say, in that era that we thought, okay, you know, we can have a Bible without the apocrypha in it. Um, it. It can be done. It's something that we can... Let's put it this way. It's something that we should consider. Yes. Now, the reason that it got removed, the, the main reason that it actually got removed wasn't until the um, not early 19th century. And we have the uh, the age of the missions, you know, the people going out on the missions. So you have these several Bible societies printing Bibles to give to missionaries mm-hmm. to take with them, Right. Yes. um to the mission fields and uh to d- reduce the size and the price of the bibles they decided that it would be okay to remove the the apocrypha since it wasn't part of the the canon anyway yes. um, and as an incidental story um the foreign bible society offered king edward the 7th um he took the throne in 1901 after queen victoria they offered him a copy of the Bible without the Apocrypha at his coronation, and um, the offer was actually rejected by the Archbishop, Archbishop Temple at the time, and he said, he said it was rejected because a mutilated Bible could not be accepted for that purpose.
0: <laughs> wow, yeah. well, that's pretty frank, isn't it?
1: <laughs> so, so this is the reason why later on it was removed. It had a lot to do with the Bible Societies, and there were it was the uh, the uh, two in in um, uh, England, um, and uh, one I think it is just the American Bible Society. But please, no one quote me on that. But it was the one of the American ones and two of the English ones decided. Look, we're going to start printing Bibles for the mission field. Uh, It's going to be cheaper and they're going to be easier to carry around and we'll take out the Apocrypha. So that is, as far as I could work out, the main reason that it was removed.
0: You're listening to a History of the King James Bible podcast with GK. The series is now available on iTunes. Just go to iTunes and search for a History of the King James Bible podcast with GK Flint as the author. If you enjoy the series, please leave a rating and a review. You can also find links to every episode at our website, just head to www.ahistoryofthekingjamesbiblepodcast.com now let's get back to this episode with your host gk now there are um uh, uh, other reasons today why uh, we as as uh, uh protestant Believers would, would reject the, uh, the Apocrypha. Would, would you like me to go into some of those? JJ? Yeah, please. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, the primary reason is that because, um, is, is that Jesus, uh, re- rejected the Apocrypha. Now that may come as a startling statement to some of your listeners, but if we, uh, and I I'd just like to read a passage of scripture, if I might, from, uh, Luke, the gospel of Luke, chapter, um, 11, starting at verse 37 and I'm I'm going to back up a ways to give the context of this instead of just reading a verse it's always it's always better in my opinion to to lay the groundwork so they can see the context of what uh, uh, statement is being made and why so Luke chapter 11 starting at verse 37 now when he talking about Jesus had spoken a Pharisee asked him to have lunch with him, and he went in and reclined at the table. When the Pharisee saw it, he was surprised that he had not first ceremonially washed before the meal. But the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but inside of you you are full of robbery and wickedness. You foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give that which is within as charity and then all things are clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you pay tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb, and yet disregard justice and the love of God. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the chief seats and the synagogues and the respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like concealed tombs, and the people who walk over them are unaware of it. One of the lawyers said to him in reply, teacher, when you say this, you insult us too. But he, Jesus, said, woe to you lawyers as well. I love that. Jesus says, well, okay, I'll, I'll include you in this reprimand. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thanks thanks for bringing that to my attention. Yeah, have, have some of this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So he says, for you weigh men down with burdens hard to bear. So now he's going into a conversation about the law, all the additions to the law. While you yourselves will not even touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you for you build the tombs of the prophets and it was your fathers who killed them. So you are witnesses and approve the deeds of your fathers because it was they who killed them and you build their tombs. For this reason also the wisdom of God said, I will send to them prophets and apostles and some of them they will kill. Some of them they will persecute so that the blood of all the prophets shed since the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. And then here are the, the uh, verses that really bring this point home. Verse 51 and 52. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the house of God. Yes, I tell you, it shall be charged against this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You yourselves did not enter, and you hindered those who were entering. So what he has done there, G.K., he's made a very forceful argument about what constitutes the canon of Scripture for the Jews, the Hebrew Bible, when he mentioned um, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, he was talking about from Genesis to Second Chronicles, which chronologically, the Hebrew canon, the first book was Genesis, the last book was Chronicles. They contained, our standard 39 books are all contained in uh, those 24 books. Hebrew books. And so by Jesus referring to, to Abel and Zechariah, he was, he was really, uh, making a statement about what constituted the canon. Um, so in addition to that, in addition to that statement, some may say, well, that's kind of a, a, a vague way of, of arguing for it. That's really not forceful. But I would, I would call their attention to the fact that Jesus, uh, did not quote Clearly, uh, definitively, without any, uh, um, uh, without any, um, you know, what's a good word? Uh, he didn't even give an allusion, uh, I guess you could say, to any of the apocryphal books. He he spoke directly and quoted uh, the, the the Hebrew Bible as we would expect him to. Now. In addition to that, and this is the one that I normally go to before I even um, discuss the fact that Jesus uh, did not reference the Apocrypha at all, I, I usually go to the fact that the Apocrypha was rejected by the Hebrew uh, scholars, by the Hebrew community, by the Hebrew people. They didn't. They didn't receive the Apocrypha, and we we received uh, our Old Testament uh, is the Hebrew, the Tanakh. Um, and so, why in the world would we uh, override what the Jews considered to be canonical and say, "Well, we're going to add these these additional books"? Uh, that I mean, that just seems crazy to me to even yeah, yeah I agree. To, to even do that. I think it's a good um,
1: point. I think it's a good point, and I'm, I'm glad you um, brought that one up uh, about Jesus. And you know, Mike, another thing that i found too is that just say we were, just say you were there with a, a proctor in your Bible and you were to tear, tear it out as you listen to us speak. <laughs> <laughs> just say you were, your Bible would lose nothing without it. Correct. Because That's... there's nothing in there, you know, other than for, I say, a bit of scholarly research, a bit of understanding of what was going on, perhaps, in that period leading up to the New Testament, you know, give us a bit of understanding of Jewish thought at that time, particularly, as you were pointing out, the uh, Alexandrian Jewish school of thought, maybe. But as as far as, you know, doctrine goes, uh, spiritual food goes, as far as it being the word of God, if you don't have an apocrypha in your Bible, the Bible loses nothing.
0: Yes, that's right. Mm. Now, Paul, the apostle Paul, too, made a very interesting point uh in Romans chapter 3 mm-hmm. uh when when he made the statement um about the Jews he said that and and I think this was in the context uh, uh GK I could look it up but um I think it's in the context of of Paul talking about all of the blessings and the advantages and and the uh the right standing with God that the Jews enjoyed and one of the things that he said was uh, that the Jews have received the oracles of God the oracles of God now what in the world would that be well that was the tanakh the hebrew bible right and and uh so if they received the oracles of God and yet they reject rejected the apocrypha then it stands to reason that the 24 books of the hebrew bible or the 39 books in the modern protestant uh, old testament is the word of God, and not the Apocrypha. Um, uh, As I mentioned earlier, Jewish uh, philosopher uh, Philo rejected the Apocrypha. Josephus um, rejected the Apocrypha. Um, And and we were talking about the Roman Church um, uh, a little earlier, uh, and and some of your uh, Roman Catholic listeners might be surprised to learn that the Roman Catholic Church didn't always accept the Apocrypha. There was a lot of disagreement and, and division even within uh, the Roman Catholic Church, and it wasn't until uh, the Council of Trent that you mentioned um, where it was where it was codified and and, and uh, made part of the Scripture. Now, some of the false teachings uh, you mentioned already, um, uh, purgatory um, uh, in, in, in in Tobit, there is a command to use magic. Right. Which is just right. crazy. Yeah. Um, uh, offering money for the sins of the dead in Second Maccabees, the forgiveness of sins uh, through um, tithes and offerings in in uh, Tobit, is is just absolutely outside uh, uh, of the biblical commands. And so, on that basis alone, we should we should reject. Uh, these books of the Apocrypha. Now there are many more, but I, I, I don't want to spend an inordinate amount of time talking about uh, why it should be excluded. So I'll well, I'll hand it back to you for comment.
1: Well, yeah, look, I'm glad you brought a couple of those points up, Mike. And and to add to that, in my humble opinion, another reason to be be wary of it. Let's put it that way: is perhaps uh, if a new believer may be confused as to its authority. You know, in that we're saying here that it's not scripture. But if you were a new believer and would pick up a Bible with apocrypha in it, you know, if someone said, look, here's the Bible, this is God's word, read it, then it could lead to some confusion because you would read it and say, you know, you might read that in Tobit or you might reading, be reading second Maccabees and thinking this is the word of God. Whereas I think for mature believers, you know, they might read it for a range of reasons, but Perhaps for new believers, it should be probably something to avoid and not be encouraged until you understand what the apocrypha is. Now, I'm not saying people are fools, but I'm just saying, you know, you, you couldn't hand someone a Bible with the apocrypha in it, a new believer, without spending some time and explaining to them, uh, you know, what, what the apocrypha is about. Now that we've said uh, why it's not canon, perhaps to be wary of it. I want to talk a little bit before we finish up, Mike, as to what are the benefits of reading it. Why should we, why have we got it? One of the things for me, why I would read it personally, is because it does give us a bit of a background, a bit of a history of the period just before the New Testament. We can gain insight into uh, somewhat of the worldview of the people, and in particular the Jews, the Alexandrian Jews of that age. You get an idea of, you know, their world view let's just put it that way you could treat it i think i said this earlier you could treat it like you do josephus as a study aid to the history and thought of that whole era uh, like i said earlier uh, one maccabees is fantastic uh, political and military history of that era another good reason and you alluded to this earlier well you said it earlier it introduces us to the forerunners to the sects and parties that we come to know in the New Testament. So yes. they are like the Pharisees, um, the uh, the Sadducees, and the Zealots. You can see the forerunners to them in portions of um, books of the Apocrypha, right? So you yes. can see yes. how they came to be, uh, yes. and you mentioned that earlier. Yes. Um, another one... Mike, and this might be just a bit obtuse. I'm not really sure. Um, I'll put it out there. Let's see what you think. I think the name of God appears only once in the whole Apocrypha. Now, please, no one quote me on that (laughs) because I (laughs) haven't read the whole thing, but I'm pretty sure that's about right. Um, But it shows us the development of that part of Jewish belief that the divine name is too holy to mention. Right? Yes, yes. Uh, which we know unto this day is still part of at least the Orthodox Jewish uh, tradition. Okay, Mm -hmm. so they will instead of saying God or Yahweh or anything that we might say, they will say Hashem, which means yes. the name, because his name is too holy to say. Now, the reason I brought that out is is to give you an example of what I'm saying, of what you might be able to read into it as an understanding of their world view at that yes. time that we don't have in the old or the New Testament, if that makes sense. Yes,
0: absolutely does. Yes. You have thoughts on well, add, it, add it, to that? Yes, in addition to all of that, mm. um, G.K., there is value in, in reading it, but mm. reading it from an understanding that it is not uh, inspired scripture, it is not uh, canonical, it is not uh, the basis for building doctrine, but rather it is a good uh, peek into or a pulling back of the curtain, if you will, to get a, a glimpse of, um, uh, of the environment uh, of the Hebrew people, uh, during the uh, intertestamental period, um, there is a development. I, I found this interesting in uh, in Second Esdras, uh, uh, Second Ezra, uh, in the Apocrypha. There are a couple of chapters that are devoted to um, the idea of a Messiah, an anointed one who would return to the earth to set up his kingdom. And of course, we see that in full blown manifestation among the uh, the disciples of Jesus they ask him on a number of occasions right. is 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 now the time you're going to establish your kingdom so uh, that idea of a messiah coming to establish his kingdom uh, actually uh, was fleshed out or beginning to be fleshed out and spoken of in more concrete terms um during that intertestamental period and second esdras provides us that uh, that that example, um, some some doctrines can be seen there. Uh, I, I know that Denton in his and can I mention that resource? Um,
1: yes, please uh, do. Yeah. G.K. Yep.
0: Yeah, Robert uh, Robert uh, C. Denton, uh, a reader's guide to the apocryphal books of the Old Testament, and um, um, he mentions in in his writings on the subject that um, the idea of of original sin.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah,
0: uh, does, yeah. That that uh, second Ezra's uh, Ezra is the first Jewish book. This is a quote. This is the first Jewish book, to our knowledge, that contains a fully articulated doctrine uh, of original sin. Although the idea must have been much older, and the seeds of it are to be found in the canonical Old Testament. But I found that interesting. So there is value in 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 reading the Apocrypha, but just to understand. What it is that you're reading, and do not put it uh, on par uh, with the inspired scriptures. That that would be my only uh, my only caveat, GK.
1: Yeah, right, and I agree. Well, Mike, I, I think we'll leave it there. I think we've given it a, a fair good go. Um, I hope my audience will have a better understanding of what the apocrypha is before I get into uh, a discussion with it in, our, in my next episode about uh, the translators. Um, so Mike, um, thanks very much for your time. I really appreciate you coming on board. Um, and especially for my first interview on a history of the King James Bible podcast. So, uh, Dr. Mike Spaulding, thank you and God bless.
0: Thank you, GK. God bless you, my friend.
1: Um, I'd like to say a big thank you to Pastor Mike for coming on board and helping me out with this episode. I really appreciate your help, Mike. And uh, if you want to hear more from Mike, go and visit him over at SoaringEagleRadio.com. If there are a couple of points that I hope you take away from this, they would be that I don't believe the apocrypha to be the inspired word of God, but I do believe that it is worthy of study for an understanding of the beliefs and practices of the people from the region and era from which it comes. Now, as a final warning, let me read from McClure's book, which was published in 1853. And remember, you can see all the works which I reference at the website. So now to McClure. The reasons assigned for not admitting the apocryphal books into the canon or list of inspired scriptures are briefly the following. 1. Not one of them is in the Hebrew language, which was alone used by the inspired historians and poets of the Old Testament. 2. Not one of the writers lays any claim to inspiration. 3. These books were never acknowledged as sacred scriptures by the Jewish Church and therefore were never sanctioned by our Lord. 4. They were not allowed a place among the sacred books during the first four centuries of the Christian Church. 5. They contain fabulous statements and statements which contradict not only the canonical scriptures but themselves, as when, in the two books of Maccabees, Antiochus Epiphanes is made to die three different deaths in as many different places. 6. It inculcates doctrines at variance with the Bible, such as prayers for the dead and sinless perfection. 7. It teaches immoral practices such as lying, suicide, assassination, and magical incantation. For these and other reasons, the apocryphal books, which are all in Greek, except one which is extant only in Latin, are valuable only as ancient documents illustrative of the manners, language, opinions, and history of the East. Okay, so there you go. There's McClure's take on it, and I think I agree. Um, okay, now before I go, I'd like to say good day and a big thank you to Nathan from Illinois. Nathan shared the link to the series and brought hundreds of new visitors to the website, uh, all just in one day. So thanks very much, Nathan. And please, if you like the series, share the series. I could ask for donations, but I don't. Instead, all I ask is for you to be a part of it and share it. It's just that simple. All right, that's it for now. Until next time, I'm your host, GK. This is a history of the King James Bible podcast. God bless and hurroo.